1: shine sports investors it is another beautiful day in the neighborhood it is tuesday september 15th Let's cock a doodle do it. This is the early line right here on sports grid, giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez. Some people call me the spitting statistician, stable genius, and vocal minority. And as always, I got my main man, Kevin the Candle Burner Walsh, as we give out all the information you need to hopefully make it a profitable day for you. And we'll try and put the fun and functional sports content at the same time, Kev. For week one, remember when I was like, I think we might see some sloppy games, we might see some unders, we might see some teams that are still working out the Kings, and it didn't completely come true in most of Sunday's action, I think the overs outdid the unders by a bit, but the unders were making a push back on Monday Night Football, Kev, starting with the Giants and the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I thought, listen, I don't know, Kev, when we talk about teams like the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs, right, they didn't miss a beat. You know what I mean? Like they had what they needed. They had tons of talent. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. we saw other teams that did kind of struggle. And I, and you got to put the New York Giants in that category, in my opinion. Most people drafted Saquon Barkley as number two overall in fantasy. People think that he has a chance to remind folks of Barry Sanders, for goodness sakes. Well, Barry Sanders also had a lot of like negative one, negative two, negative two yards, and that would break a 60-yard run. Well, Saquon Barkley was kind of the same, except he didn't have that 60-yard run. His long on the day was seven last. Last night, 15 carries, six yards for the stud running back for the New York Giants, giving people fits
2: last night. Yeah, look, the Steelers front was making life very, very difficult for this Giants offensive line and for their run game. I will tell you, though, Dane, I disagree that this Giants offense looks different in this exact spot if this game was played week five. This team underwhelmed so much for me in this game. They left so much on the board. I mean, the first drive, Jason Garrett, new offense. Know why you do not coach the Cowboys anymore. Fourth and one on the Steelers' 40-yard line. Delay of game because you're trying to draw them off sides and you don't have what it takes to punt the ball away. Disgraceful. And then they give you a gift, fumble the football, right. fall on the two-yard line, uninspiring play calling on downs one, two, and three, and you concede and kick three instead of going for seven against the defense that it is going to be hard to score against. I came away very annoyed. By Jason Garrett's debut as the offensive coordinator for the New York Giants. When this team went with passes on early downs, it looked good. They should have abandoned Mm. the run a long time ago in that game. Daniel Jones moved the ball. Now, he had some moments. And boy, did he cost them major with that inside the five interception. And that's on him. I can't put that on Jason Garrett, but... From the first three minutes of this game, every reason why Garrett should have been out in Dallas, he left right on film to start his tenure in New York. Yeah,
1: you know, that's interesting, Kev. And I agree with most of what you're saying, right? Whether this game was played week one or whether this game was played week five, maybe it was not necessarily that they had to iron out the kinks as we welcome our radio audience from around the country, including the mightier 1090 out west. Thanks for waking up early with us. I, I sort of feel, though, Kev, you're right. Whether this game was week one, whether this game was week five, whether this game was played on the damn moon, Okay, I kind of attribute what I saw with the Giants less to Jason Garrett, per se, and more to the Pittsburgh defense. That Pittsburgh defense was flying, Kevin, all over the place. Bud Dupree looked like he was trying to take Danny Dimes' soul. Looks like he was in the backfield with Saquon Barkley half the time. So the question is, right, like, It could be a combination of both. Was it that the Giants offense made Pittsburgh look good or did the Pittsburgh defense make the Giants look bad and maybe they're going to make a lot of offenses look bad in
2: 2020, Kev? Yeah, but those defenses don't make the decision of whether on fourth and one you opt for a punt inside the opponent's 50. They don't on the two-yard line for three straight plays, have you come up shy and say, you know what, tap out and kick three. They don't make that decision. I'm not taking away from this Steelers defense. This is a great unit that picked up from where they did last year. But a better offense wins that game. Like, I don't come away looking at the Steelers and saying, ooh, that team's about to push the Ravens. One week, a lot of time for that. But if you had to power rate this, these teams in the AFC North, nothing has changed with the Ravens at the top spot and the Steelers below them. I feel like the Giants still left a lot on the table, and you can't do that. Home games are invaluable in this league, and you can't say, ah, early, because that's what I heard. Ah, it's the first drive. And how is that less important week two and week three? You need to capitalize, and these are the things And this is why I don't think it's an overreaction because Jason Garrett lost his job in Dallas over this and then showed up here in New York and corrected none of the mistakes.
1: Yeah, no, I hear you. And the Giants were moving the ball when they were like targeting Sterling Shepard on first downs, right? Getting five, six yards a chunk. I'll just say when they're, can't run the football, it does limit what you're able to do as a play caller when they experience zero success on the ground. I will say this. It's not all rainbows and roses for the Pittsburgh offense either. We talk about that side of the ball when we come back. We're off and running right here on the early line Welcome back in, everybody. The early line right here on Sports Grid. Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh. And, Kev, I wanted to look at the Pittsburgh side of things. You know, I know you said, Kev, that it didn't matter if it was week one or week five or will it take time. Do you change your opinion when it comes to Pittsburgh, given that their Hall of Fame quarterback does need to potentially shake off rust because he hasn't played a game in a year? How do you think the Steelers' offense looked, and do you buy the concept of? You know, getting better, working out the kinks. A lot of these players never really played with Ben. Think about it. Deontay Johnson, who looks like he may be one of the most, you know, one of the top receivers for this team, was a rookie last year. Didn't really have time with Ben. So do you believe the work out the kinks concept on the Pittsburgh
2: side? No, the Steelers did upset me because they should have kicked that field goal with Chris Boswell to give us a chance to <clears> get, <throat> get the over to end that game <clears throat> instead of the end round of Chase Claypool. With that being said, they are a team, Dane, that would fit the description because this was something that you and I just kind of had a fundamental disagreement on coming into the this week one, that a lot of teams are going to need to get their legs under them and figure it right, right, out right. and work at the kinks. But the Steelers, from everything that we saw, it feels like they did fit that description. The start of it all was a little bit shaky. But then the right. more they kind of got Big Ben rolling in the passing game, and then the offensive line started to gel, and that opened up the run game. And you all of a sudden are looking at this receiving core, and you're like, oh, yeah, here we are again with the Steelers mm-hmm. having an uber-talented receiver core. So from that perspective, I was impressed. And I think, you know, they are similar to a number of spots where they scored 26, and it could have been more if it needed to be more.
1: Yeah, I hear you. And for me, at least, I did think there was a little bit of that shaking off the rust for Big Ben specifically, right? He missed he missed throws to the backs in the first quarter. Yeah. He threw behind Deontay Johnson early. But here's the thing for me. As soon as they turned it over to Ben and said, go ahead, man, run the two-minute offense. Call your plays. Let's just get into that rhythm. Then with, like, crossing patterns underneath a lot, he started. I think that is what started to get him involved. But we have to talk about the run game as well, Uh, Kev because James Conner leaves the game early due to an ankle injury. Remember, I hate to use this term, but dude is injury-prone. Kev, he's been banged up a lot, has missed a lot of time, and then Benny Snell came in, right, as the backup. Snell, yeah, I say that because he has it tattooed on his chest, and he ran 19 times for 113 yards. And I got to tell you, even before Conner was injured, He looked Mm. like the more dynamic back. He looked like the harder runner. It looked like Connor was a little patient or timid. Six carries for nine yards for Connor before the injury. Talk to me about, you know, we were talking off air. We know the Pittsburgh Steelers prefer. To have a lead kind of guy. This is not like Indianapolis where Marlon Mack is now out for the year. James Conner is not out for the year. They're optimistic he'll be dressed and okay uh, for week two. What do you think this looks like moving forward? Because fantasy managers are very interested.
2: Yeah, and I think James Conner, who ended up leaving this game injured, would have come back in had he gotten off to a better start had Benny Snell not been able to find a groove or had this team just found it necessary because you have an injured ankle. That's keeping you out of the game. And then you proceed to stand for the game's entirety. And then we get the word as soon as the game is over that they're optimistic you'll be able to play next week tells me that the ankle injury isn't that bad. I struggle to figure out how this plays out though, because I do think he's going to be active. I look at someone. Uh, I look at this situation as somebody who looked to back a big game from James Conner anytime touchdown scorer played right. also in a couple of DFS lineups. I thought he'd have a big game, and I don't feel like I was wrong when I look at how much work he was getting and the overall finishing numbers for Benny Snell. I think right. they would have had right. that game had health. The run it. game would have been successful last night, right? Yeah, correct. But now it is tough to say because might Mike Tomlin kind of get forced off his end goal of only one back? Because, look, it's great, but can we identify that there is some legitimate benefit to forcing the team to only have one back? If I've got Christian McCaffrey, if I've got Dalvin Cook, if I've got Ezekiel Elliott, that's different. James Conner is not as talented as those guys, so it's not necessary to have him with... 85% of the work we know Tomlin seemingly wants that but after week one I struggle to figure out what this group looks like I do think Connor plays week two though yeah I agree with
1: all of that Kev and think about it let's just fit the exact You know, wondering that you're doing right now that I'm on board with, right? Let's fit that into what has been my working thesis about running backs and the evolution of how teams play this moving forward, right? We've talked about the timeshares, the committees, and how the bell cows are few and far between. Tomlin has this as his approach, But this is where the entire league is going. And you mentioned like, yeah, it's okay if you have Zeke. Yeah, it's okay if you have Dalvin Cook, right? And Connor may be below that tier. Maybe it just makes complete sense for a number of reasons, Kev, for the Pittsburgh Steelers to kind of get with the gravy train on what, you know, 25 other
2: teams in the NFL are doing. Yeah, I I mean, and again, like, I think James Conner, from what we've seen from him, when he's healthy, he usually is able to produce at that level. Yeah, he's a good back. That's been the case for the Steelers, period. I mean, this is when Lev Bell would miss games, and we'd be like, all right, D'Angelo Williams started in every lineup you could ever Fitzgerald
1: Toussaint.
2: (laughs) I mean, like, so this, you know, Jalen Samuels was fantastic, right? Like, so... It's one of these things where I don't know, and it probably comes down to Mike Tomlin believing that running backs are rhythm football players, and he just wants to keep him in. And that works for me. And you know what? He probably felt confirmed in his theory with how Benny Snell got better as the game went on. I, I, I absolutely struggled to think about what this group looks like. Uh, you know, and what these totals look like, you know, snap counts, carries, targets right. at the end of week two.
1: Yeah, it is going to be very interesting to see the piece of the pie. The one other piece I want to mention in this offense real quick is Juju Smith-Schuster and Kev. What a difference having a quarterback makes, huh? You know, like Juju kind of underperformed last year. All of a sudden, Big Ben is there. And again, especially, right, like in that two-minute offense when they can just go no huddle, when they know what to do, and Juju knows, I, I'm going to do two crossing routes in a row. Then I'm going to fake the in and go back out and hit the sidelines like in that two-minute drill. Juju Smith-Schuster, six catches, 69 yards, and two touchdowns. Kev, I mean, with this offense, right, and you know Big Ben is there, and you know Big Ben is going to sling it, right? I mean, is Juju, does he deserve to kind of elevate back to the status that we thought he would be last year? Or does Deontay Johnson take too much of the pie Hmm. for Juju to truly be like that kind of wide receiver one that people are hoping for and projecting
2: last year? It's very interesting. So I jumped on GTD with both Gabe and Cam, and we were kind of yeah. going over these anytime touchdown score numbers and Gabe liked Juju. And I said, look, I, I, I like where you're at with that, but I'd also be a little concerned over Deontay Johnson. I think he's going to be part of the game. Juju scores. Uh, I am no longer on the show, but I, you know, Gabe gives me a, yeah, take that, Walsh. Juju's not going to score. You're worried about all <laughs> these other guys. But at the game's end, Deontay Johnson had 10 targets. To Juju Smith-Schuster's, mm-hmm. six. Deontay Johnson's over-under receiving yards number was 51 and a half. Keep Mm -hmm. in mind what that number looks like going into next week. Giants secondary still supposed to be significantly more favorable than that of the Denver Broncos, who we will talk about um, as that was the next game. But I still think Deontay Johnson will get his. But Juju being the touchdown guy does feel viable for this Steelers offense.
1: Yeah, you, you mentioned looking at kind of the prop bets for these Steelers receivers moving forward. I'm going to be very interested to see how the book handles a prop bet for James Conner and maybe Benny Snell next week as well because of our conversation, right? Like they're going to have to take a stand one way or the other and try to get into the mind of Mike Tomlin, which I think is going to be very interesting to see how he plays it. We, you know... Kev, you mentioned like, yeah, feed the rock and have that lead dog. If you got a guy like Saquon Barkley, if you got a guy like Zeke Elliott, right? Well, in the second game that we're going to talk about, they got a guy that they can give the ball to a number of times, and they gave it to him 31 times. We'll talk about the second Monday night game, what closed off week one when we come back. Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh right here on the early line. But until then, let's hear all the news from overnight with our news update from Chris Wells Welcome back in, everybody, right here on to the early line. We also welcome back our radio audience from around the country, out west there with the mightier 1090. Kev, when we go out to that side of the country as well, we see the second Monday night football game that took place to kind of wrap up week one. And boy, what a week it was. The Tennessee Titans, the only example in week one of a team that won but did not cover as they beat the Denver Broncos in Denver, 16 to 14, you know, in front of about four or 500 of the Broncos friends and family. I thought this one was interesting and I've got to start. With Derrick Henry, Kev, I mean, last year's league's leading rusher. I remember how I was talking about how very few people got to the 2025 carry mark, how Clyde Edwards Hilaire was the only person in the NFL to reach the century mark in rushing, while Derrick Henry joined him on both accounts. He got the rock 31 times in the run game, 116 yards for the league's leading rusher, eventually, you know, establishing his will.
2: I mean, Derrick Henry is maybe the safest dude in the league when it comes to production. They, they Now, I know that they kind of wanted to start a burn clock. They were hoping Fangio would use timeouts. He didn't. It was working either way. But, like, they're still kind of running this hurry-up drill. Goskowski's not left them with a lot of uh, comp- confidence. You would think <laughs> they would want to get six. And they're still just tossing the ball to Derrick Henry because they're like, listen, what are they going to do, stop this guy? Like he's right. way bigger than everybody, and he's gonna he's gonna fall forward. And you and I sp- spent a good amount of time on this, so it's worth noting. Ryan Tannehill over the passing yard prop; they did both Derrick go over. Henry over the rushing yeah. yard prop. They found themselves in a game script where it worked out both ways. Uh, it was interesting because they were, and that's what's so interesting about them. They were down. It was hurry up offense. It it was set up right. perfectly for Tannehill to get over his number. But it was somehow still tight enough to where Henry justified the work. And he comes away with 31 carries. And, you know, we can talk. Now, is he going to have 31 carries every week? No. But he also was not very efficient in that work under four yards a carry. Under four a carry. So I look at Derrick Henry's performance. And, I mean, I remember we did it many, many moons ago for the rushing yard title. He was the favorite. And I found it to be difficult to come up with a reason why anybody else, though, should be favored. And it was a good plus, uh, you know, number beside him. I think the only thing that people could complain about were the Derrick Henry anytime touchdown scorers, who laid pretty Mm -hmm. good juice, round minus 160 at the FanDuel Sportsbook, that saw this team get to the one-yard line twice, twice. (laughs) And Ryan Tannehill threw two touchdowns from that spot.
1: Yeah, and you know what? They even made the point on the telecast, Kev, and I know you're probably doing in-game live, but, you know, and I empathize with some of the Broncos defenders because <clears throat> think about this, Kev. You've been in the pandemic. You haven't had time, right, the team being together, no preseason games, in training camp. <clears throat> You're not hitting. You're not tackling full bore. And then, yeah, go ahead and get in front of that truck named Derrick Henry and make those business decisions. I do want to ask you about some pieces of the Titans' passing game because coming into this season, Kev, Everybody loved your NWO mate AJ Brown, right? Because he kind of popped off, right? In uh in his rookie year. Was that guy with Ryan Tannehill, especially in the play action game in the second half of last year? But um Have we forgotten about Corey Davis? Corey Davis was a top five pick in the draft in his year, right? And it was Corey Davis who was the favorite target of Tannehill, especially early on. He gets seven for 101. Meanwhile, A.J. Brown, decent game, but nothing over the top five for
2: 39. Are we under-respecting Corey Davis? You know, maybe. They, They finished with the same exact number of targets. Corey Davis, though, found himself open for more of the game. Uh, I thought that A.J. Bowie eventually being injured and leaving this game yeah, was got helpful up. for A.J. Brown. And I think if you're the, De- you know, you talk about this a lot, especially with this team, right, Dane? You talk about whether teams want to hone in on stopping Tannehill right. in the play action or right. stopping Derrick Henry. But there's something to be said about in the receiving game, having all eyes on A.J. Brown, right? And sure. that then allowing Corey Davis looked wide open on a lot of those receptions. And now that's something that would make sense for a lot of teams, but ultimately I still find A.J. Brown to be talented enough to where he'll be able to wiggle free. I actually think he could be a value play for us going into next week. because Then A.J. Brown could be, you targets. mean? Yes, A.J. Brown. Okay. Because we still got the targets that would lead me to believe he's still the top guy in terms of the receiving game here for this offense.
1: No, I think that makes sense, Kev. And I think you, uh, as I try to zoom out a little bit, you know, you make a point that everyone has to realize right now that week one is over and we start to turn our attention to week two, right? You're saying like, oh, he could be a value, right? A lot of people are going to jump all over these week one performances, Kev, both individually or as teams, Right. And I think that's a very slippery slope. You know what I'm saying? To think that everything we saw in week one, you'll just be able to lift up and apply, obviously, to week two and beyond. And I want to turn our attention, Kev, to like in the fantasy football world, it is Tuesdays. We've got waiver wires and waiver wire for week two, men is so important because of these overreactions right because people who have their studs who got banged out by injury we'll talk about the injuries in a little bit i i looked at some of the waiver wire some of the really heavily added guys especially at the running back position and we can put up the graphic there were four running backs that i am considering diamonds in the waiver universe kev okay and we talked about some of them yesterday and to be quite honest maybe you want to add benny snell into it and that'll be my question for you but as you see them. Naheem Hines, obviously with the Mac injury and how he was involved in the Colts game is only on 19% of rosters, Kev. All right. Joshua Kelly, who we talked about being that kind of thunder roll with Austin Eckler is only on 12 percent of rosters. Malcolm Brown, who you said was the Dane Martinez prop bet special. Right. Only Hmm. 26 percent of rosters still. You can get him if you lost the Lev Bell, for example. Right. Um, If you lost the Marlon Mack, for example, Jet McKinnon is someone I'm interested in on only 11 percent of rosters because of the role he may play in the passing game for the 49ers. And we know they can can sustain multiple fantasy relevant running backs. And then there was Benny Snell from last night's effort. Kev, I want to ask you this out of those four, maybe Snell as well. If you were a guy who just lost Marlon Mack, lost Le'Veon Bell or had an underwhelming performance, right? Who would you prioritize on that list? Or would you go elsewhere?
2: I think Naheem Hines would be the guy that I would want to take a look at. We've seen Phillip Rivers have, two running backs be fantasy viable in an offense uh, before. And Philip Rivers is a part of that because of how often he will target running backs. Hines had eight targets last week. Uh, and I think that that kind of work for him won't go away. I believe they were bringing in Lamar Miller for a workout. You would rather them yeah. not make that signing and just roll forward with their high draft choice of Jonathan yeah. Taylor and Naheem Hines. I, I think that for me, it's hard to... You know, Jarek McKinnon, the Niners are crowded, right? Kelly, ultimately, you would expect more work in the run game. And those splits, I'm not sure. The fact that he stole the touchdown is what leads you with confidence there. Right. Malcolm could Brown could be the goal line nice, back. But at the end of the year, I think mm. it is more likely, or I should say, rather, it is less likely Naheem Hines is phased out compared to right. Malcolm Brown.
1: No, I agree with that and Naheem Hines would be my number one ad. Let me ask you, where would you fit Benny Snell in that pecking order?
2: <sighs> I would take him uh, below would Brown. Would you take him above Michael Brown? Hines. Below Browns. I mean, yeah, because I think James Conner's back. So honestly, I'm not I'm not unless we find out that he's not going to be. And now I will say this though. If you are a James Conner drafter. You're gonna need right. to pick up Benny Snell. Oh yeah, you should have beforehand. Be surprised to handcuff him, if this is the only time that James Conner. Battles and injury, and I just want to make this point because um, we we didn't talk much about the Denver Broncos. Speaking of running back injuries, uh, we mm. just recently got yeah. the update from Adam Schefter that Philip Lindsay, who left that game injured, is dealing with tur- uh, turf toe. The Broncos are hopeful that it is only mild, and his status is questionable moving forward. Melvin Gordon then stepped up. Royce Freeman made an appearance in the game when Philip Lindsay did leave. But Melvin Gordon looked real good in his debut, 15 carries, 78 yards, and a touchdown, was involved a little bit in the passing game, receiving three targets. So uh, I think that Melvin Gordon is a guy whose props will be super interesting moving Mm -hmm. forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As we look back at the Wave wire, those are some guys I do like. But as you know, Kevin, we got diamonds in the rough. We got to have Fugazes as well. There's a couple of uh, guys that are being heavily added right now. Kev, but I'm not so sure if um, they're going to be worth it or sustainable. You know what I mean? For example, Peyton Barber on the running back side, the man had two touchdowns, but he averaged less than two yards uh, per carry. And don't forget about guys like Gibson or Love. Russell Gage for Atlanta, uh, Kevin, I mean, he had an incredible game. But he's still the third wide receiver, right? You know, do you expect Matt Ryan to have 450 yards passing every single time? And a lot of people are adding Scotty Miller as well as you start to see these names. These are guys that are um, on less than 10% of rosters. I like what Scotty Miller does. But remember, Mike Evans was out there mostly as a decoy, right? I don't know if that's Mm going to happen. And Tampa may be in a different kind of game script in a lot of games as well. Am I crazy? Do you actually like any of these three guys to kind of sustain their breakouts from week one?
2: I think if I had to say one Peyton Barber, because there's value in being a goal line back, and the Eagles front is still one that's tough to generate a ton of yards from. We know this, that when it comes to, again, whether it be fantasy or the props market, what you really would love is a baseline value of attempts. And if Peyton Barber is going to be able to give you that, then he's going to be someone I wouldn't want to forget about. Yeah, that is true. Remember, there's volume. And there's efficiency, right? So if the
1: volume is there, eh, okay, maybe he's worth a roster spot. When we come back, though, Kev, we'll get final thoughts and close up week one. And then we got to turn our attention to the association. There's a game one and a game seven to discuss as the NBA playoffs march on. Come on back after this. Welcome back in everybody right here on to the early line giving you the edge Dane and Kevin trying to put the fun and functional sports content Kev now that we stand here with week 1 in the books Right, and it's so crazy. We've been waiting for this for so long, and now I turn, and it's like, oh my goodness! There's only forty-eight hours until week two, <laughs> right? You know, so um, we're starting to get into that rhythm, and I'm excited to do so. Now that we finish week one, you know, what do you think are some of the biggest takeaways? What are some of the things you want to adjust? I know there's some injuries I'd like to, you know, remind people of, but what are some of your what are some of your yeah. takeaways? Whether it be from specific players, even from Monday night, I know you like Evan Ingram. I know you were impressed by some people on Denver. What
2: are some of your, yeah. uh, you know, let's take a step back here now that week one is in the books. Yeah, two, two Monday guys that I'm just going to be curious to see how the props market will adjust to them. Uh, for the Broncos, Jerry Judy, four grabs, 56 yards, but had a team high eight targets, dealt with a little bit of the drops. Uh, and I think it might be fair to say that he maybe, you know, a little bit of first game jitters still went over his number. What, though, does this also look like with Cortland Sutton back in the fold, who I think they would expect considering he was pretty close to playing this week to play next week. They're going to see the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that's very interesting because they have to adjust the number, but they can't do it by a lot if Cortland Sutton is going to get back in the mix. And then another guy uh, from the first Monday night game, and Evan Ingram, two grabs, nine yards. That leads to a lot of people selling. He still had seven targets, and I know there was at least one more he dropped that would have a been few, pulled though. Pulled off the board from an offensive pass conference. Absolutely. Look, and he's someone that that can struggle with drops. Mm-hmm. But when we kind of look back on it, right? And you know how this goes, Dane. A lot of, listen, man, you know, Darius Slayton's the clear number one. He ah, he doesn't even like Evan Ingram. Saquon Barkley's right, right, doing right. all the work. But you have to be able to go back and look through those things. And I think Evan Ingram is somebody who had the targets – but didn't have the production. And that's where you could potentially find some value next week.
1: No, I I agree with that. And that's, you know, Kev, that's kind of my overarching heading here, right? Like take advantage of others who overreact, whether that's in your fantasy league or whether that's the books hanging a different number, right? You know what I mean? Like a lot of people are going to think week one is something to just hang your hat on moving forward. And I don't know that it is. I think in fact, you can get value. You can make, by kind of going contrarian in that vein, I will say this, we had some big time injuries in week one that we should reset here because, you know, we talk about coronavirus and travel and all this stuff in the NFL. But let's not forget, it's a violent game. And these are headline pieces of talent, Kev, that are down, whether it be for the full season, like we've heard from Marlon Mack, Lev Bell, the Jets, it looks like we'll miss multiple weeks with a hamstring injury. George Kittle's status is uncertain with what they're calling a knee sprain. Remember, he went back into the game, but didn't catch a pass in the second half for the 49ers in their loss against Arizona. Blake Jarwin went down with a torn ACL. His season is over. Michael Thomas, and this is an interesting one. And quite frankly, for me, the one that will cause fantasy managers the most fits. Okay, because The Saints play on Monday Night Football next week, so you have to make your decision on him, likely with limited information, pretty much what managers had to deal with with Cortland Sutton this week, right? And then, of course, we saw what happened with James Conner, although Pittsburgh has already come out and said that they think he'll be okay and he will likely be able to play next week. I think you are correct that that had something of the hot hand to do with it. When you look at these injuries, what do you think is the biggest one or what do you think provides the biggest opportunity for next man up to be relevant in the fantasy universe,
2: man, that's a great question. And thank you. I think what you bring up with Michael Thomas, though, is the most important point of the struggle that that will be for people who look to build out fantasy lineups, yeah. whether it be season long or DFS. I'm not sure if there's a saint you can turn to. Jared Cook, obviously Kamara, but all you know, Emmanuel Sanders should be rostered in on MPs. rosters. Uh, now The answer is Traquan Smith, players. Kev.
1: The answer is Traquan Smith. That's who you need on your roster if you're a Michael Thomas owner. In the same way you said the Benny Snell thing for James Conner, right? If you want to play this, if you like want to go into it and you drafted Michael Thomas with your number one overall pick and you're like, I got to run him out there, what you need to do this week is get Traquan Smith on your roster because in the universe Michael Thomas plays, you start him. In the universe where he is inactive, right, then, Kevin, and only then, right, does Manny Sanders probably bump up, Jared Cook probably bump up, and then the other piece of the game, I believe, would be Traquan Smith, but that is your kind of safety blanket. Hopefully you have other options that you drafted that are just better, but that's the player if it's the in-case-of-emergency break-open glass if you want to wait until Monday, Kev.
0: The
2: other guy from that list, over under four and a half games left in Le'Veon Bell's Jets career.
1: Hmm. Um, and, and by career, do
2: you mean
1: because, uh, like, what if he's like injured and on the yeah. sidelines, but still a member of the
2: Jets? No, no, they I don't. Games played. Next week won't count towards the tally.
1: Over. Over. Uh, I don't think. Over, no, seriously, because because I don't know that. Like, and I know what you're talking about. And, yeah, it's out there, right? But I don't know that. We also. You think the Jets would sell him for, like, 70 cents on the dollar, though?
2: I think they'd be counting their lucky stars. And do you think. 70
1: cents. And do you think another team is gonna want to take on the contract? Like salary caps are already baked in, right? So I like will they maybe want to move him? That's like that's not the reason why it may not happen, right? It's still not easy to have everything line up to actually uh uh complete a trade in the NFL. That's all I will say. There oh, are a number it's of not teams
2: though only trade, right? Like there's also a world where you he think he gets released, isn't healthy enough? No, 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 no. I'm concerned also about the health. Here's another issue as well. Oh, that's why I uh, asked. Do you mean like
1: active or dressed yeah, or whatever? Brutal. Okay.
2: And that's why I, And that's why it's just a. It's a blanket four and a half games in his in his games played in his Jets tenure because I don't think anybody expects him to be on the roster next year. But and, and you know this, right? They came out that he was banged up during training camp. Adam Gay said he dealt with a hamstring injury. He thinks it's yep. important to go. But I defended a Le'Veon Bell a number of times, and I never back Adam Gage. But Lenz Bell then has to hit Twitter and say, nothing wrong with my hamstrings, pulls a hammy week one. So it's a coincidence? I doubt it. I doubt it. So he probably was dealing with those injuries. It's flared up again. Adam Gage has already said now, yeah, it's going to be probably a little bit before we see him back. They will not rush him back. There's no way that happens. So we probably don't see him for at least a month. It would not surprise me if he starts banging on the table saying, I'm healthy, and gay says, no, you're not, and then he requests a trade. I'm not trying to overblow this, but this is a situation that has been explosive from the start. Yeah, I I agree with
1: you, okay? Uh, When you talk like that, this is a situation that really looks bad, right? I completely agree with you on that. Um, You know, there is 15 games left to play that's all i'll say and a lot of things can happen in 15 games you know i'm just trying as much as possible this week kev to not overreact and i'm not saying you necessarily are but you know now we're going down like that he's only going to play four games you know I, I i all i'm saying is
2: i gave you over under four and a half and struggle I took over. to get the word over out of your mouth right i took over yes i took yeah, over yeah, though but and i believe that and over. And four and a half, by the way, real low number. Like, I didn't even make you say half the season. No, it's fine, but I, yes, and
1: I say it over. I do, and let's let's see what the injury is like. Let's see what the hate from gays and Douglas is like. Let's see if Lev Bell, with this hamstring injury, still decides it's cool to go bowling with some friends. All of these things we don't know, right? But it is interesting that these guys are banged up, and football continues to be, unfortunately, a violent game, Kev. You know, regardless of how we play it. You know what, Kev? We we got NBA to talk about. We got uh, Major League Baseball to talk about. But you know, I'd be remiss real quick, Kev, mm. the college football season. Yeah, also really got going uh, last weekend, and as we know, three of the Power Five conferences are playing. We know the Pac-12 is not. We know the Big Twelve, uh, the Big Ten, is uh, revisiting the issue. Shall we say? I want to ask you about the Big 12, Kev, because I cannot imagine a more horrible start for a conference, okay? First of all, three of the teams had their games postponed because of COVID-related things, right? Baylor, Kansas State, I believe, or Kansas. Um, Kansas State and Kansas then go out and lose to Sun Belt teams, Kev. and And... Like, the Sun Belt went 3-0 against the Big 12, right? And I know Kansas State, Kansas, okay. Number 23-ranked Iowa State also went down. And here's what I want to ask you, right? Because we're not supposed to worry about the coronavirus. We're going to push on through. Okay, fine. The idea that three Big 12 teams lose to Sun Belt teams. My Hmm. question for you is this, Kev. What does this mean for Oklahoma and Texas? the two teams who in that conference are supposed to stack their resumes up against the, the high performing teams and the teams at the top of the ACC, the teams at the top of the SEC. What does it mean for Oklahoma's case, right? Against, you know, I don't know, Notre Dame in the ACC, right? Or the second and third teams in the SEC when their conference is losing to the sun Belt, regularly
2: yeah it's not good uh there's no doubt about that the interesting thing though for look Oklahoma's just gonna have to run the table they will be massively favored to do so the fact that there is for those final four spots not meant to be though a big 10 champion or a pac 12 champion as long as whichever one of Oklahoma or Texas win the big 12 as long as they do so with only one loss next to their name I would be floored to not see them make the college football playoff. Although I might argue to you also, you know, somewhat underwhelming games for them to start the year. First of all, Oklahoma's playing Missouri state. I have no idea how if the state of college football is kind of like, Oh, we're not going to play meaningless games. And Oklahoma's playing Missouri State. But they also didn't cover a preposterous spread because they only scored seven points in the second half after scoring 31 mm-hmm. in the first quarter. And then Texas, at one point, because I was doing the in game live, were laying alive 60 and a half to UTEP and embarrassingly didn't cover by only winning by 56 points.
1: But but here's what I'm saying, right, because we have to – you have to at some point in the college football season, right, we always talk about this, like, which conference is more – like, could there be a universe, Kev, yeah. where Clemson runs out undefeated? Notre yeah, Dame – Clemson only plays one good team, too. Right, right, right. I know I hear you. Them- But part of this, Kevin, you know this, is the entire conference and how they stack up. Could there be a universe where Clemson goes undefeated, Notre Dame has one loss, Alabama goes undefeated, right? Call it what you want. Georgia, LSU, Florida, whatever, has one loss. Oklahoma or Texas have one loss, two losses. And people think that these teams, the second teams in the ACC and the SEC, are better, Then the Big Twelve champion and the BCS or whatever it's called, the College Football Playoff, looks like a coaches versus cancer like ACC versus SEC challenge.
2: I I, again, I get what you're saying, but Clemson right now has to play number seven Notre Dame and number twenty V Tech. Oklahoma has to play right now number nine Texas and number eleven Oklahoma State. So as long like a team like Oklahoma, a team like Texas, they just have to take care of business. The SEC is not going to send three of the four representatives to the college football playoff if Oklahoma or Texas or let's call Oklahoma State, if they take care of business. They're not going to be able – because they all beat up on each other, right? We know that Mm -hmm. when it comes to the SEC. They're going to still end up beating up on one another. So, again, I totally get what you're saying, but look, this isn't the first time where we've had conferences get real top-heavy.
1: Yeah, no, I hear you. We'll see. I guess the only last thing for me is this is what befall the bottom feeders of the Big 12. I, 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 we'll see if it impacts the, the class of the Big 12 as well, and then we'll have a different conversation if OK State also starts defecating the mattress. We turn our attention to the NBA as we finish up this hour and get into hour two of the early line. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. The morning after. I want to use this as an opportunity to kind of rehash that if Lowry's hurt for a significant period of time, the Raptors are not the best team in the bubble. Anyway. They need him to be good. But at full strength, this team has no hope. There's not one part of this team where I'm like, yeah, they really need to improve this part of their game to get over the hump. They are ready to win a title right now today as constructed, despite losing their best player last year.
2: The Sports Grid Network. Fantasy Sports Today. This is about as good as it gets. And if you take a look, Joe, Dwayne Wade, uh, Steph Curry. And all kinds of NBA players weighing in on this. Manu Ginobili also uh, having things to say. There's Dwayne Waite's tweet yesterday Mm -hmm, just basically mm -hmm. going off and saying great things about him. There's no doubt that the NBA has taken notice. This is the next great player in the league
1: Welcome back in, everybody, right here on to the early line. Dane and Kevin taking you around the world of sports, trying to give you the edge. That's what we do here on Sports Grid. And, Kev, you know, um, there are a couple of teams that finished the playoff series over the weekend, so we didn't talk about it much. The Lakers will be there waiting for whoever wins game seven that we will talk about in hour number two. But the Rockets are now done. And Mike D'Antoni has decided that they're going to move on. He will not be returning to the Houston Rockets. And I know MDA will be a prize-like coaching free agent. So I want to ask you, where might D'Antoni land? But I also want to ask you, like, the Rockets are in a bit of a pickle because they've shoved all in personnel-wise on a style of play, Kev. And so that sort of kind of... I don't want to say limits, but it kind of points a direction
2: specifically at a kind of coach they need to get, right? So let's start right there with the Rockets. I mean, it came out before MDA officially said, I'm gone, that the Rockets are like, yeah, MDA might be gone, but small ball isn't. So, and you look at the roster and it's like, yeah, small ball isn't going anywhere. Yeah, they're all in, they shoved on this. Whoever they bring in is going to have to adjust to this style. And there's been countless reports that they want it to be Jeff Van Gundy. So you want me to believe that a guy from the 90s is going to come in and just oh. understand that P.J. Tucker's his center? I don't right. know. Like, we'll see what, you know, crazy trade Daryl Morey can come up with going into next season. Get Clint but, Capella back. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, like, I just, I don't know what that looks like. But, yes, they're going to go all in. Jeff Van Gundy looks to be the clubhouse leader. But Mike D'Antoni... Listen, he's probably the best coach to never have gone to an NBA Finals. That is not a moniker that you want, but that dude's a legitimately wonderful coach for the most part. And we know the Pacers want him badly. There's reportedly mutual interest there. And we also know that the Sixers are incredibly interested. I think that he could do wonders for Ben Simmons. That's what I was going to ask. The... Issue, though, is what does that look for Joel Embiid? Yeah, Joel Embiid is not a seven seconds or less kind of guy. Well, maybe we just fire up the trade machine.
1: (laughs) Okay, we shall see. But remember, coaching style and personnel and roster have to match. So we will watch that. There are some teams still playing. And we turn our attention to games tonight in the association, a game one and a game seven. We'll talk about it when we come back. Hour number two of the early line